Welcome to your new favorite bookish podcast, Fully Booked and Caffeinated. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Heather. And today we will be discussing Divergent by Veronica Roth. As usual, let's talk about our fuel for this discussion. Tell me about some caffeine, Heather. I'm actually hydrating because my water intake has been horrible, but my coffee intake has been excelling. So I'm trying to trying to even myself out here a little bit. <laughs> so you're taking the caffeinated part too literally most yeah. of the time, and yeah. now you need to balance it out. Yeah, so I'm drinking uh, peach mango body armor, my go-to body okay. armor flavor. Mm-hmm. That sounds refreshing. And I saw the other day a strawberry and lemonade flavor, so I picked that one up, and I'm excited to try that. Yeah, that sounds really good. Mm-hmm. They are giving me summer vibes, though. True, but I'm Which... all about fall right now. Speaking of, though, I did have a butter pecan latte this morning, and I was in the drive-thru, and like the speaker was ready for me, and I was like, what are you going to say, Kelsey? Are you going to say pumpkin? Are you going to say butter pecan? And I was like, hit me with that butter pecan. Dilemma. And I did it. And it was a a good choice. I'm happy with my choice. I mean, butter pecan is now an all-year-round flavor, so I don't think you can't- you can't put it in a corner. It's not just summer. It is now full year exactly. round. Exactly. I can have it whenever I want and not mm-hmm. feel like I'm not embracing fall. I know. I do <laughs> think that them bringing pumpkin back in August is a terrible choice. It's too much. It's too, it's much. too much. It's too it's much. much. It's too much. September, like, yes. Early September, yes. like after Labor Day, the day after Labor Day, pumpkin should just be full season. But it's like coming out in like mid-August when it's we're just sweltering in the heat. Mm-mm. Yeah, because when is the mint going to come out? When are we going to start seeing peppermint mocha? Too soon. Prob- it's probably going to be November October. 1st. Probably October, yeah. actually. Although I wouldn't... You're probably right. Well, Starbucks usually doesn't put out their holiday menu until November, mm-hmm. which is my favorite. That's my favorite coffee time of year. I love Starbucks yeah. holiday drinks. I do enjoy their holiday drinks. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Especially like walking around a Barnes & Noble mm-hmm. with a Starbucks holiday drink. Oof. That's it's different right there. It does. It does. So anyway, cheers. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> okay, so Veronica Roth. I didn't know anything about her until looking her up for this book. And the crazy part is that there's not much about her past jobs or anything like that because she went to college for creative writing and then immediately began writing and became ridiculously successful, like her career is a dream come true. If only. Yeah. So, okay. So here's the really cool piece of info that I was like super surprised by. Roth wrote Divergent while she was on winter break in her senior year at Northwestern University. So she's still in college. That's wild. She found an agent by March and the publishing rights were sold before she even graduated from college in 2010. The film rights were sold in March 2011 before the novel was even printed in April 2011. That's insane. I'm sorry, what? The book didn't even come out and they sold the film rights. Also, I'm so jealous of her right now. That's I know. Like, Isn't that absolutely bananas? Dream. And I was reading this whole thing about how young adult novels like this one and like Hunger Games and stuff weren't really translating well to film. And Divergent did really well, but they were surprised that it did. So mm-hmm. I'm surprised that they sold the rights that quickly. I mean, yeah, me they didn't too. make the movie. The movie didn't come out until three years after, mm-hmm. but still, like, that's kind of crazy that they bought the rights yeah. that quickly. 
Anyway, now she's just still writing, and she lives in Chicago with her husband and her very cute dog. (laughs) But anyway, about her writing. So she has the Divergent series, and then she also has the Carve the Mark series. Both are sci-fi, YA, fantasy fiction series, as are most of her books. And she's only written one adult fiction novel. Now, I haven't read Carve the Mark. Have you? This is the only series of hers that I've, only books of hers that I've ever read. Okay. Yeah. Her newest one that's actually out, not the, she has one coming out early next year. It's like a novella, but the one that came out recently actually looks really good. So maybe I'll give that a try. We'll we'll see how this, (laughs) this conversation goes. (laughs) Anyways. So here's a question that Veronica Roth answered on Goodreads. So someone was able to ask her, how do you create a strong, unforgettable female lead? And she said, It sounds like a bit of a paradox, maybe, but you have to let your characters be weak and flawed in order to make them strong or complex and memorable, which I think is more important and probably just a different way of saying it. The flaws you give them can't just exist to make the character more colorful. They have to create real significant obstacles in the story. I think letting go of concerns about likability is important too. Not that you can't have a likable character, but I think sometimes we misunderstand what makes characters lovable, which is when they feel like real people. And real people have weak moments, dark moments, sad moments. Real people are vulnerable and relatable. That's pretty on point. Yeah, I like that a lot. And we talk about that, I feel like in a lot of discussions about our favorite characters, Mm -hmm. or characters that we say are well written, it is because they have depth, and they have weak moments and dark moments, and they have all of the facets of a real human being. Like, they're not just likable. It's more than surface level. Exactly. So I thought that was really cool. So, like I said, this is her first book. Uh, It's YA dystopian fantasy fiction novel, originally published in 2011. It was made into a movie in 2014, which we will discuss later on in the episode. It won two Goodreads Awards the year it came out, Favorite Book of 2011, and Best Young Adult Fantasy and and Science Fiction in 2011. I didn't even realize that Goodreads existed in 2011. (laughs) Oh, right? I didn't realize that Goodreads existed before I started using it. I know. Like, I literally only just started using it last year because of Bookstagram. And I'm like, oh, this is like a thing that's been around for a while. They're out here giving out awards, and we thought that we, like, invented Goodreads just by using it. Oh, well. I mean, Divergent knew. Veronica Roth knew. That's for fucking sure. Veronica Roth is like a prodigy, like, having her first book be so successful. That's crazy. I'm still, I'm still flabbergasted that she was in college when she wrote this book, and it basically changed her life. Yeah. And like, she could have just stopped there. Like, that's Mm -hmm. how successful she was with it. And she's like 35. I was surprised that she's so young. And I don't know if it's because I was just like automatically comparing her to Suzanne Collins. Because like Hunger Games, Divergent, I like associate those in my mind. That's a good point. So I was just so surprised at how young she was and how like, immediately successful which is fucking awesome i mean yeah it is good for her that's Mm -hmm. like we said that's the dream yeah all right so let's get to the goodreads which was just invented when we started using it (laughs) summary in beatrice Pryor's dystopian chicago world society is divided into five factions each dedicated to the cultivation of a particular virtue candor the honest abnegation the selfless dauntless the brave amity the peaceful and erudite 
the intelligent. On an appointed day of every year, all 16-year-olds must select the faction to which they will devote the rest of their lives. For Beatrice, the decision is between staying with her family and being who she really is. She can't have both. So she makes a choice that surprises everyone, including herself. During the highly competitive initiation that follows, Beatrice renames herself Tris and struggles alongside her fellow initiates to live out the choice they have made. Together, they must undergo extreme physical tests of endurance and intense psychological simulations, some with devastating consequences. As initiation transforms them all, Tris must determine who her friends really are and where exactly a romance with a sometimes fascinating, sometimes exasperating boy fits into the life she's chosen. But Tris also has a secret, one she's kept hidden from everyone because she's been warned it can mean death. And as she discovers unrest and growing conflict that threaten to unravel her seemingly perfect society, she also learns that her secret might help her save those she loves, or it might destroy her. So that's the entire book. No, but wait, it's the entire book that that's actually my outline got me. Ooh, romance. Sometimes exasperating boy. I mean, facts. I know it's true. <laughs> but that's my entire outline of the book. So Listen, yeah, I don't we even could blame just, you. We could just we jump could right just into skip it. it. That's <laughs> I, know. I know. Wow, literally, it's the whole thing. Um, surprising that they were able to put the entire book. This like 500 page book into this two paragraph summary, but somehow the book really was 500 pages. It really did happen. It was. So we're in a dystopian society where basically war broke out and this community was built in what used to be Chicago and they've developed the faction system in order to govern the people. So they're trying to have people fit into their factions, which center around positive human qualities. And if they exhibit those qualities fully, then they'll weed out the impulsiveness or the depravity of human nature, Mm -hmm. which like immediately, this is not going to work, but okay, we're we're going with it. Do any dystopian books work though? I mean, let's be real. (laughs) True. True. But like, if you just try to be as kind as possible, then you'll just never not be kind. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Seems yeah. ridiculous. So at age 16, why do all of these books, it happens at 16. It's no. too young. You should I be know. having an extravagant party with a poofy dress. You like know. Kin- that's like a quinceanera, isn't it? Oh, no, I guess you 16. No, it's a get sweet fancy. 16. No, they, they get fancy too. I didn't do, I didn't, I don't even remember what I did for my... Oh, my sweet sixteen was a luau in my backyard. Well, that's fun because I was I was a summer birthday, and also I came from a very not rich family. <laughs> my family wasn't rich, but no, we but... did make a very big deal about sweet sixteen. Yeah. Mine was Hollywood themed. Oh my god, we had a red carpet. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great. The sixteen candles where you have to like choose sixteen people in your life who I mean know. something. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. I wrote yeah. those speeches weeks in advance. Anyway, so I had other things on my mind when I was 16. Um, this is a little different. So they have to choose the faction that they're going to stay in for the rest of their life. And they take the aptitude test to determine which faction they would fit into best. And usually it's the faction they were born into, but not always, which is kind of crazy. I think it was what was a concept to me that I didn't quite understand um was the fact that so they take the aptitude test and then they tell you 
what faction you, I guess, technically should belong to. And you mm-hmm. have the, and I can understand if you have the option to just stay in the faction you were born into or going to the faction that the test says you should do. But then you can also just choose any faction you want, realistically. And I'm like, then what's the point of the aptitude test? Exactly. Or what is the point of choosing? Like, the whole point in this society is that you're supposed to choose the one that you will fit into best in order to keep the society running. Mm-hmm. And I think in the movie, they have the interaction with Janine explain it, where Beatrice is like, well, you don't really want us to choose. Like, we're supposed to go with what the test says. And Janine's like, no, you're supposed to see what's really in your heart. Like, they don't really say that in the book. And they don't really mean it Mm-mm. either. No, you know? they don't. So that part, I agree. There, there's like too many factors that go into the decision. You should mm-hmm. either pick your aptitude test result or pick where you were born into. That's what I would. Th- those should be the yeah, only I think options. Those, those should be the options. I mean, obviously, unless you're like divergent, you have multiple choices, but you can't tell anybody that. But exactly, you know, it's it's weird that you could realistically choose which one you want to go to, and it has nothing to do with you or your aptitude results. Yeah, you're just like fuck it, nah. I want to wear black and have tattoos i mean same <laughs> literally <But> anyway, you. <laughs> so literally me so there's the five different factions which they talked about briefly in the summary but it's this whole idea of faction before blood so once you make that decision if you decide to defect and go to a different faction you're no longer a part of your family you can no longer interact with them you can't go back to them like you're completely severing ties and then your allegiance is to your faction not to your family anymore which like your family who raised you for 16 years but okay i know that's it's ruthless fucked up concept oh yes yes ruthless but also yes fucked up concept (laughs) but yeah it it is ruthless it's like they can't even go and visit each other yeah. because it's seen as betraying their mm-hmm. faction when it's literally just like, I lived with you for 16 years and I just want to say hi, or I'm sorry for leaving or explain my decision or anything. But it's just, I mean, we're when this story is taking place, we're at the point where the faction system is starting to crumble, obviously. Yeah. So maybe it wasn't always like that, but now it's like any little thing that happens can be seen as an act of rebelliousness. Mm -hmm. So real quickly, the factions, abnegation, we know is selfless. They have no self-indulgence whatsoever, no vanity. They eat plain food. They dress plain. They spend their entire lives serving others. Candor is known for their honesty. To them, truth is black and white. There's no in-between. The erudite are all about knowledge. So they have the constant pursuit of knowledge and learning. Amity is about kindness and harmony. They do the farming and they're just seen as the most peaceful people. There's never any conflict with the Amity. Also, Amity just did not show up at all in this book. Okay, I was so surprised about that. But I know it has a it has a big it has a big premise in the second book. I remember. Yes, but I was you know because all the other factions are talked about at length for a good part of the Mm -hmm. book, and I'm like, where's Amity? Is it just because I'm sure that everyone who's in Amity probably just stays in Amity because I think you kind of have to if that's where you're from. But I was kind of surprised that it just had barely any introduction or any. It was barely discussed. I completely agree. 
I think that the intro of the movie where she explains Amity is more than we get from the entire book. I agree. And I was like surprised about it because like you said, it does show up so much in the second book. So I was like, oh, I forgot that it's irrelevant. Yeah. Anyways, continue. Dauntless. So, okay. So Dauntless, they're all about courage. So they guard the fence. They police the factions. They're daring, self-sufficient, and proud. And then obviously we have the factionless. They live in poverty on the outskirts of society. They're people who have, who have been kicked out of their factions for various reasons or weren't accepted into their factions or have chosen to leave. They're, it's kind of unclear. I mean, we know that during the initiation, people who don't make it past the initiation are then factionless. But there's obviously other reasons that people are factionless also, and they don't really get into it in this book yet. Mm -hmm. Not yet. All right. So age 16, Beatrice, our main character, doesn't fit into her faction. She's too curious, and selflessness just doesn't come naturally to her. During the test, the aptitude test, her results are inconclusive, and she finds out that she's divergent. But she should never share that info ever. But they don't give her any background. They're just like, you are divergent. Don't you dare tell anybody or else. Shut your mouth. And she's like, what does that mean? And like, nope, 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 no questions. So divergent basically means that you don't fully fit into one of the five factions. And this is a threat to the society because divergent doesn't conform. Mm -hmm. So the reason that the results were inconclusive is because it didn't show a clear faction as the result. There were multiple factions that Beatrice could have fit into, which is a big no-no. So Caleb, Beatrice's brother, who has made self being selfless look so easy for their entire lives. Like Beatrice looks up to him and how easy he makes abnegation look. And he kind of not judges her. But he's kind of like always disappointed in her that she's not, it doesn't come naturally for her. So it's the biggest shock when on choosing day, he chooses erudite. Mm -hmm. And Beatrice is like, excuse me, what now? And then she goes up and chooses Dauntless. So both children are just like, see you later. And the parents are like, what? Cool, 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 cool. So in the society, abnegation is in charge of the government because they're selfless. So basically, they would never do something to benefit themselves because they only think about other people, which like, okay, this is sound reasoning, I suppose. But the other factions are starting to resent that. So they've been attacking the character of the leaders of abnegation. So Marcus is the main leader, but Beatrice and Caleb's dad is also a leader. So when they both choose to defect this further fuels the rumors about the leader's character and how they aren't who they say they are, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So already tensions are brewing. Oh, yes, absolutely. So Beatrice takes off on her journey to Dauntless. She's got to jump onto a moving train and then jump off of a moving train seven feet, seven feet? Seven so, stories off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> like seven and like feet's several not a lot. feet. Yeah, that's not a lot. I mean, I don't know if I could jump seven feet, but people can. Um, <laughs> they have to jump seven stories across a gap onto a roof. So off a moving train. It was funny when, when Eric and I were watching the movie because he was like, Does the train ever stop? And I actually had to think about it and like think back into the book. And I was like, No, I don't think it ever stops. 
There's never, ever every stops. time, every time that the, the train takes place in this, in this book, people are jumping off of it or jumping onto it. There's never a, yes. oh. It does slow. Okay. They but do mention that it yeah. slows when it gets to, not when it's by the rooftop, <laughs> but when it gets to like the city center or something, okay. it slows down. And then I guess at the end, which is the Amity Farms, I guess it turns around. Does it stop to turn around? I <laughs> I don't know that much about how trains work. This, so actually, th- this train is kind of a loophole. <laughs> it's just and also this train is a drain on the resources. I, I mean, know. I know. Let it take a break. I know. So anyway, Beatrice makes her first friend, Christina, who becomes a big part of the story, and she immediately makes a name for herself, metaphorically and literally. She volunteers to be the first jumper from the roof into this giant, dark, unknown pit. And then she renames herself to Triss. Also, this is where we meet Four, who will be her instructor. And the boy. <laughs> the boy that we giggled about. Okay, Exasperating so, boy. <laughs> exasperating is like an understatement. <laughs> so they find out that they have to compete to pass their initiation and not everyone will make the cut which is a big shock that basically just because they chose dauntless it guarantees them nothing Mm -hmm. now dauntless has to choose them yeah and that's part of where we said like if they don't make the cut then they're automatically factionless like you can't go back to your faction you can't go back to your family there's no going back so the testing is in three stages in the book, physical, emotional, and mental, which four says, we believe that preparation eradicates cowardice, which we define as the failure to act in the midst of fear. So fear is this huge thing for the Dauntless because they're so brave and they're so courageous, but really it's just about overcoming their fears. Mm-hmm. So we start to see a little change in Triss as she embraces her intellect. She embraces her violent side a little bit. At first, she's horrible at hand-to-hand combat because she's the smallest. Which, she's yeah, the weakest. It's not a shocker. She comes from this community that is plain. She's not going to know mm-hmm. how to do anything. Like, they don't. They eat the bare minimum. Yeah. It's not like she's out there lifting weights. She's not running. I don't know how she was running with them to jump on this train. Like, this is the most you've run in your whole life, I bet. I know. And they just kind of throw them in there. Mm -hmm. Like, they're like, by the way, you're going to be fighting someone to the death today. Someone who's much larger than you. Yeah. And so there's new rules. We meet Eric, the other... He's not really an instructor. He's just one of the dauntless leaders who's always there. He's to like a like, dictator. He's just... Yeah. He just like pops in to be like, oh, whatever Four said, we're not doing that. I know. <laughs> and so there's this huge rivalry between Four and Eric. And basically, the rules have changed for the initiation. It used to be that when they're fighting, someone can tap out concede yeah yeah exactly and they can then they'll lose the fight but eric says no no now we fight until one of you cannot continue because a dauntless never quits so it's like kind of this early on you're seeing that four and eric have very different ideas about what dauntless is yeah so tris is determined to find it within herself to become dauntless 
mostly because she doesn't want to be factionless, but also because this is the choice that she made Mm -hmm. and she needs to go with this choice. So we said she embraces her violence side a little bit. There's the fight with Molly where Four has to literally pull her away because she just keeps attacking. Mm -hmm. And it starts to worry her because she says she traded cowardice for cruelty and weakness for ferocity. Mm -hmm. So instead of slightly shifting her ideals, she's kind of like flipped a coin, basically. Yeah, I also can't blame that character development, though, because she's so she's, you know, made fun of a lot. She's not really respected. She's not taken seriously. So I can understand why. And then, you know, there's all the judgment because she like left her she left her faction and her dad's a leader Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I can understand why she kind of became as ferocious as she did. Because everyone doubted her. we talk about the nickname stiff like that's the best we could come up with and the fact that the instructor also uses this it's meant to be like a derogatory term for abnegation Mm -hmm. like also uses it it's just very weird but yeah i agree with you i do also like though how they really keep revisiting the fact that abnegation is so deep within her yeah and even though she never felt like she belonged in abnegation that she fully belonged those things that she was taught for 16 years of her life are so deeply ingrained and hard to unlearn so she naturally wants to stick up for people when they're being bullied four says to her because you're from abnegation it's when you're acting selflessly that you're at your bravest so Example, when she stands up for Al, Mm -hmm. when Eric wants him to stand in front of the targets and have literal knives thrown at him, and she does it instead. And she would have never seen herself as brave. Like, she doesn't see that as brave. She sees it as sticking up for someone else. Yeah, and I feel like she, every time she goes to do something, it's almost like she considers, like, what would my family do? Like, what would my mom Mm -hmm. do? What would Caleb do? What would my dad do? So she is very much still not stuck in abnegation ways, but she still very much takes those those qualities and submerges it with the Dauntless, her, her mm-hmm. Dauntless-like personality. And I think that that is such a huge flaw with the faction system is that mm-hmm. when you live only within your faction, you associate only within your faction. Like until she was 16, she never even talked to someone from another faction except in in school but only in certain classes where they put together you know what i mean she like knows nothing about affection like when she sees christina and will being like flirty she's like it like throws her off yeah (laughs) yeah so it's like how are they expected to so quickly unlearn everything that they've been taught Mm -hmm. for 16 years and relearn something new and that's why it's so rare for someone to move to a different faction yeah So it makes sense. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's also like picking the easy choice. Like she knew that abnegation would be not the easy choice because it wasn't easy Mm -mm. for her to be selfless, but it would have been the easiest choice. Agreed. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about a little bit, but we also come to find out that the faction system, like every social system, has evolved and not necessarily for the better. So the Dauntless Manifesto says... We believe in ordinary acts of bravery, in the courage that drives one person to stand up for another. And now the leaders, Eric especially, are focused on violence and a very different definition of what bravery means. So before, 
her standing up for Al or standing up for someone else would have been seen as brave. And now it's seen as rebelliousness. Yeah. And we also, they really focus on Dauntless, Erudite, and Abnegation. So Erudite is targeting Abnegation through all of these rumors that they're spreading. And they say that they've also changed. They also used to pursue knowledge for the sake of doing good, but now they pursue knowledge and ingenuity with greedy hearts. Uh Okay, so Tris narrowly makes it past the first round, the physical round. And the second and third round are kind of the same thing. Like they kind of run into each other. The second round is really just like prepping you for the third round. They're emotional and mental evaluations where they have to be in simulations surrounding their fears. So it's all about controlling their fears or controlling themselves in the face of fear. So four says, becoming fearless isn't the point. That's impossible. It's learning how to control your fear and how to be free from it. That's the point. Mm-hmm. And Triss's response is basically that she always saw the Dauntless as fearless. But like we said, in actuality, it's really what she was seeing was fear under control. Yeah. Which is like another part. She didn't know this background about Dauntless. She just saw them as these like badasses who didn't weren't scared of anything. But really, they've done this mental preparation to become that way. Yeah. Which also that's wild that you didn't realize that they did all this mental preparation and you still chose to join them and just thought you were going to be fearless all of a sudden. Okay. I know. <laughs> I know. Weird. It's like, it's interesting because I feel like these, they don't know realistically what they're getting themselves into. They just see the faction for what it is without really knowing what it is. Yeah. Like the surface level mm-hmm. what, or what they've been told yeah, by exactly school or their mm-hmm. families. So as the story continues, the stakes get higher and higher as Triss gets better at fighting and she excels way more than others at the mental simulations. The others are threatened and they try to potentially kill her. It's unclear what the (laughs) ultimate motive was. Oh, my God. But it wasn't great. So do you think when Peter drew and Al, Al, who's supposed to be her friend, when they hang her over the chasm, do you think they're trying to scare her or kill her? They're trying to kill her because even if I they're agree. trying, even if they're trying to scare her, that's not really going to accomplish anything, you know. Because Peter stabbed what was it, Edward? I think his name was like in the eyeball, and then he ended up yeah. having to like leave. So Peter's threatened because he wants to be number one, and he wasn't number one with Edward, and now Triss surpassed him in mm-hmm. in the next uh, level because she's so good at the simulations. So mm-hmm. he's just basically and especially the fact that he's it's a stiff that's passing him it's a girl mm-hmm. you know so he's just his masculinity is threatened oh his masculinity is fragile mm-hmm. Ugh. so he's just like well let's just get rid of her no one will know yeah. when it's because even if it was just to scare her i don't know that's kind of extreme but and like you said what would it help Like, I don't think that it would convey that message of, like, you better stop excelling because it wouldn't then we'll kill you. Like, it's not that spelled out. But I do think that Peter and Drew wanted to kill her. I think that Al convinced himself that they were just going to scare her. Mm -hmm. So then as she gets better at the mental simulations, now she's putting a target on her back to dauntless leadership. 
So not only does she have to worry about the other initiates trying to kill her, if Dauntless Leadership finds out that she's divergent, they'll have her killed. So overall, not safe. She's just jumping hurdles left and right. She just can't catch a break. And again, this 16-year-old girl who has no idea what she's gotten herself into. And she's, I mean, realistically, she's doing great at dealing Mm -hmm. with it. But it's, it's always something. And you see... I don't want to say the weakness, but you see how the strain is affecting yes. other initiates and mm-hmm. it's just not affecting her that way. No, and it's and in fact it's almost well not almost it is it's changing her like we mm-hmm. touched on before fueling her. So now she's a different version of herself and she's losing herself in that which she recognizes a few different times in the book. So I think mm-hmm. that for her it's more about persevering and she's for whatever reason, she's just not as thrown off as other people are. For whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but she's just not as... She she deals with it a lot better. You know, because mm-hmm. Al would, like, cry every night and everything like that, so... I think it all speaks to that divergence part mm-hmm. where it's like she's yeah. able to control her emotions. She's able to control herself and not let what other people are saying, doing, thinking, control her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I never really thought about it, but I think that that's... No, that's a good point. I didn't even think about the divergence being the reason probably why she's so different than all the other initiates, because mm-hmm. she has a better, con- like like you said, a, a better control over her emotions, mm-hmm. because she's more than one thing. Exactly, which is why she obviously excels in the simulations. The fighting is a lot more... It's a lot harder to use your mind to get out of, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And she does end up doing that. That's how she ends up getting better at fighting. She uses her speed. She Mm -hmm. watches for their tells, you know, stuff like that. But basically, she went from being scared to disappoint her family and become factionless to now being scared for her life every day. Yeah, more or less. 16. 16. (laughs) Okay. So obviously, like we said, Tris has to hide her divergence in these simulations. And four starts working closely with her to help her without spelling it out he's also a dick about it (laughs) from tris's pov she says i fear his shifting moods they show me something unstable inside of him and instability is dangerous so she kind of tries to dig for info and see if he is also divergent but he'll never answer her roundabout questions and he just says i keep trying to help you but you refuse to be helped so Triss's stubbornness combined with Four's stubbornness is why we will pause here and discuss this relationship dynamic. I would love to know your thoughts, Heather. What do you think about this budding relationship? Um, it's like it was weird because initially like Four is a total dick to her throughout the entire novel. And then like a light like a light switch goes off and he's just like sweet and caring with her and then he's basically says to her you should have known that me being a dick was protecting you and i was trying to convey these things to you but she was seeing the exact opposite and here's my thing and i say this every time we talk about a book that has to do with a couple fucking communication needs to be better it needs to be better. use your words <laughs> use your words and i'm now thinking about it as like The reason that he was so, I want to say immature in this, Mm -hmm. like that whole like, you should have known that me being a dick was like, I'm teasing you on the playground. That means I like you. But then we find out that 
she thinks that he's like this big ladies man when really he's never been intimate with anyone. He's never liked There's... anyone. He's never kissed anyone. And yeah. then when we find out that he came from abnegation, then you know that he wasn't comfortable with physical contact. He wasn't comfortable with expressing himself. So it does start to make more sense. But he is an asshole. Yeah, he really is. I forgot about that when I was reading the book. Realistically, I didn't remember that mm-hmm. being a, a thing. I remembered him trying to protect her, but I didn't remember him like being such a, a dick to her and and like her almost wanting to kind of figure him out. And I didn't understand why she even wanted to do that either. Like I don't know. Yeah, it was the the dynamic between them. Really, it wasn't written as well as I remember, mm-hmm. and I actually kind of wish it was written better but again now i know it's the first book also it's a ya novel so i'm mm-hmm. reading it now being older i i see like kind of the the pothole the potholes in it a little bit yeah but i agree i remember this as i loved their love story mm-hmm. me too and then i reread <laughs> it and i was like <laughs> no like also like yes, what love story because again when they do eventually get together there's not really any there's no buildup. There's they no just, like, make just, like, out. They're just like, oh, we're together now, and it's like, okay, but but why? Like, what what happened in your relationship to bring you to this? Because you being a dick to each other isn't enough. Because then one day he's just like, oh, come into my simulation with me, and it's like, but why? That's the thing. Okay, that's the thing. So I think that they see it as they both revealed their. Deepest, darkest secret. His deepest, darkest secret is that he came from abnegation and Marcus is his dad. Yeah. Her deepest, darkest secret is that she's divergent. So they skip the whole rest of it. The whole rest of getting to know someone, building a relationship, and they're just like, oh, but we know the deepest, darkest thing. So now we have to be together. Yeah. I'm like, yes, he saved her from being dropped into a chasm to certain death. I appreciate that. He helped her pass her initiation. Appreciate it. But as far as love, yeah, I don't think so. No, I don't. I, and I, and I, I think I, this is toxic. And I think that, and again, I haven't read these books in so long. So I'm hoping that when I read the next two, it kind of brings me back to like why I loved it so much. Yeah. Why I loved yeah. them so much. Because I definitely did. I definitely loved them together. So I'm, I'm thinking that it builds in the other books. And it's like, oh, okay. Like it comes full circle, hopefully. I can't remember. Yeah, because like you said, he does end up being really sweet and like taking care of her and saying all the right things. And it's like, this guy is has got some bipolar love. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's frightening. Yeah. It, like she said, it's it's a little scary, the instability. So anyway, like we touched on a little bit, but Four takes Triss into his fear landscape. We find out that Four was named Four because he has only four fears, which is the least that have ever existed one being his father marcus who is from abnegation so tris discovers that he defected from abnegation and that the allegations that marcus is abusive were true mm-hmm. now i have another issue this part irks me because it seems like it's not that much of a secret like he's 18 so it was only two years ago that he defected why didn't she recognize him? Why does no one at Dauntless say anything, even in passing? When she's excelling as a stiff from abnegation, no one is like, LOL, so did four. That's so crazy. I can agree with that. And it's also weird that 
it's brought up in the book that whenever Marcus would come over to their ha- the priors for like dinner, Tobias just never came. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so she's like, just what? You just don't know what he looks like? But didn't you guys all go to fucking school together? Like, how do you, you not know? You didn't walk to school together? You didn't? Or just not like... even that. Like, you should still, you still know people, I would assume. I don't, I don't understand how the schooling works then. Are you saying that you guys are just separate all the time? Because that doesn't make any sense. Unless it was separated with girls and boys. But I feel like no. at some point they, they said that it wasn't. No, because then they all can like go on the same transportation together. Yeah. So. I don't know. And it was literally two years ago because they say that he's 18. Yeah. And they also, all the factions when they're in school were mixed together. It wasn't like they only did classes with abnegation students. It was all together. So. There's no way that this is a thing. And I never realized this until rereading it. And I'm like, there's no way that no one is talking about the fact that four was number one in his class and came from abnegation and like, oh my God, Tris, you're doing so well. That's wild. So did four. I know. <laughs> I don't know if he did like some men in black shit where he like erased everyone's memories so they wouldn't remember where he came from, but could be. it seems like something that might happen in this book. So anyway, now in the book, I felt like her fear landscape she didn't hide her divergence that well. Like in the movie, which we'll talk about, she has to actively choose how a Dauntless would get out of the fearscape. So instead of just saying like, oh, no, this is a simulation, we could just get out of it. She has to think, no, a Dauntless would plug up the hole where the water's coming through, blah, blah, blah. But in the book, there's the part where she just decides that the water tank is like made of ice, so it will crack. And then she's burning at the stake and she just says it smells like rain and it starts raining. I'm like, this feels like divergent to me. I know. And it's almost like I feel something else I noticed because then four tells her like, you need to kind of like control it better and think Mm -hmm. more dauntless. And she just doesn't. She'll do the simulations over and over again. And she's still doing the same thing. And I'm like, if you know you're being watched, wouldn't you try to like maybe be in your simulation longer, your landscape longer than you need to be or try to do something like she's just like instead she's slaying it. I know. Which like is great because then she goes to the top of the rankings, but it's also a target on her back. They literally exactly. They literally said to her, like, stay in the middle of the pack. You don't want to be the best and you don't Mm want to be the worst. And she's like, actually, I'm really fucking good at this. So Mm -hmm. exactly. (laughs) So. Erudite develop a serum to turn Dauntless into mindless soldiers, and they're injected right after their initiation. All along, Triss has suspected that Four is divergent because he's been kind of warning her all along that they're watching her. He keeps dropping hints, but she doesn't know for sure until this serum activates because everyone else is in this trance and so she kind of plays along because she realizes that she's supposed to be in this trance, and then she finds Four and realizes that he's also immune to the serum so he Mm -hmm. has to be divergent which like you could have told her sooner i thought y'all were in a relationship but okay (laughs) there's like you said no communication no and also i didn't quite understand where tris's obsession with thinking for was divergent came from either like that kind of just popped up out of nowhere as well yeah because the other person who warned her about divergence was tori Mm mm-hmm who administered her aptitude test and then told her did she tell her in the book yeah and then like when she sees her mom at the um 
Yes. Uh, when her mom comes to the, the choosing or the, um, the family day. Visiting day. Visiting, yeah. visiting day. And she says like, you know, she's like, you know, tell me really what happened with your results of the aptitude test. Mm-hmm. And her mom is like, you can't tell anyone you're divergent. So it's like she, the only people that really, that she spoke to about it won't tell her anything. But for whatever reason, yeah. she just thinks, she just comes up with like, oh, I think four is divergent. It's like, but why? But why do you think he's I divergent? Think it's literally because she's like, oh, I love him. He has to be divergent. <laughs> I with know, me. like, there's really nothing that happens in the book that I can remember that she's immediately is like, ooh, divergent. Because he just seems so dauntless. Yeah. And the other people who have told her about divergence, she doesn't know that they're divergent and Tori isn't divergent. Yeah. But, like, it's not like everyone who mentions it to her is divergent. Yeah. I mean, so- I, I can get, like, her understanding. We're starting to catch on because he does during like the landscapes, he's kind of like, you know, what was your aptitude result or, you know, kind of asking prodding questions so I can understand Mm -hmm. why she would at that point be like, you know, bells and whistles should be going off. But then she's also just like being honest with him in a sense. And I'm like, you need to be smarter about this. Like, you can't just like, like, what if like, you know, like infiltrating and he's like, pretending to be your friend when realistically he's part he's part of the the problem but i mean he's not obviously but you don't know that i think this speaks to her 16 year oldness Mm -hmm. because she's so smart in some aspects and then in other aspects she's so trusting that like i'm reading this person right so i Mm -hmm. know what to expect when really it's like you have no fucking idea just because Mm -hmm. he didn't want to be in leadership doesn't mean that he doesn't have that same agenda yeah exactly so the serum activates. Lots of shit happens. Tris and Four are found out pretty mm-hmm. quickly. They don't hide it at all. Um, Tris is shot, and Four is taken to be tested on by Janine. So obviously, Tris has to save her family and Four. This is what it comes down to. This is it. So her mom saves her, then sacrifices her own life, but not before revealing that she used to be dauntless and that she too is divergent that was a cool plot twist i did like that i i loved that and Mm -hmm. she explains it finally finally someone explains to tris what divergence means so she basically moved to abnegation to avoid detection because dauntless is the most unsafe faction for a divergent so she says this to tris about conformity and most people do it for most people it's not hard to learn to find a pattern of thought that works and stay that way but our minds move in a dozen different directions we can't be confined to one way of thinking and that terrifies our leaders it means we can't be controlled and it means no matter what they do we will always cause trouble for them this is the explanation we needed a long time ago (laughs) but i mean it was more meaningful right before her mom died Yeah, yeah exactly so then Tris, her brother, her dad, and Four's dad, we, we brought him along for some We're reason, so random. all set off to stop the simulation. They capture Peter, who the Dauntless leaders pulled out of the simulation because he doesn't need to be in a simulation in order to kill people. So that's nice. He's basically a dick. So like, yeah, we, we could use that. Yeah. They're like, this guy's ruthless as fuck. If we tell him yeah. to kill people, he'll do it. Yeah. So they capture Peter. Triss's dad also sacrifices himself. This abnegation shit runs deep. <laughs> and just... also, like, I I remembered that her mom died. I didn't remember that dad died. 
And that for some reason, like, I thought he was in the second book. And I was like, oh, wait, no, he's definitely not. Clearly, because no. he just died. And it's like an hour later. Like, she loses both her parents when the, within the span of and like of an course, hour. The the biggest douche of abnegation lives. And I'm like, Marcus, you know what I mean? Like, of all people, he should have been yeah. the one to die. But Which I kind of wish they included that in the movie where he like jumped out of the moving train and like, oh, he was like hanging on by the ledge and like almost uh-huh. fell down. She was like, damn it, he made it. <laughs> know she's like i wouldn't be butthurt like if he just happened to die while we're, while we're doing yeah. this and then she just doesn't warn for that he's there but oh, anyway <laughs> so tris finds four he's in a simulation in the dauntless building and he beats the hell out of her before she can break him out of the simulation and she does it just by well she does it in the book i can't remember how she does it in the book she just she does it in she, the movie is she it puts the, same? the gun to her head that's the same in the book, in right? In the book, yeah, she puts the gun to her head. Well, because here's here's what I didn't like about this scene in the movie compared to the book, because in the in the book she does, she puts she she turns the gun on herself like she's gonna shoot herself and it takes him out of it because he can't kill right. her. Right. And then but like in the movie, she's like she keeps saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I was like, No, I was like, he says it to her first in the book, and I loved, I loved how he did it in the book. That was one of my favorite scenes. And then in, in the movie, it's like, no, like, you took away my favorite part. And it was just kind of like, okay, you know. So I didn't love that. But yeah, no, it's, it, she gets him to come out of it because she turns the gun on herself. And he was okay. like, and he, I didn't know if do I it. was just remembering the no, movie. No, it was, it was, but it was still different how she did it to herself in the movie than how she did it in the book. Because yes. I think she has the gun. And instead of, she, instead of shooting him, she turns it on herself. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the the movie, I think he automatically puts the gun to her head. And then that's when she's like, I love you. I love you. I love you. So I think that that's, and she's like, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, I, like she's saying, like, it's okay. You can kill me. Yeah. Like, I know it's not you, but I love you. And so that they were vastly different, but similar. If that okay. makes sense. Gotcha. No, no, no. I, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. And I completely agree about the, I love you in the movie. Bruh. When she started saying, I love you. I was like, stop it. This isn't, this stop isn't- it. This is, this Stop is how it. it happens. It happens this when is not everything the time. is over and they're on the train together. And then he just says it in this cute way. He was like, you know, would you I be don't want to fr- scare you. Yeah, but I, you know, but I think I, you know, I don't want to scare you and say I love you. And she was, and he's like, you know, she's like, oh, you can. He's like, okay, because I do love you. You know what I mean? And I'm like, that was yeah. cute. And I appreciated that. But in the movie, I was like, oh, you ruined it. <laughs> yeah, it was very weird mm-hmm. in the movie. But I, I, I get it. So she breaks him out of the simulation. They stop the simulation. In the book, they stop it. The Dauntless soldiers are able to break out of it. And then Triss, Four, Peter, Caleb, and Marcus escape. And the book ends with this quote. Abnegation and Dauntless are both broken. Their members scattered. We are like the factionless now. I do not know what life will be like separated from a faction. It feels disengaged, like a leaf divided from the tree that gives it sustenance. We are creatures of loss. We have left everything behind. I have no home, no path, and no certainty. I am no longer Triss, the selfless, or Triss, the brave. I suppose that now I must become more than either. Mm -hmm. I like the ending. Me too. Like that part. So before we get into a little more movie discussion, two-part question. Which faction would you want to be in? And which do you think you would actually fit into? I, I kind of think that, I don't know, this is like a, it could go either way. I feel like I would want to be, I almost feel like I'd want to be an 
Amity only because of the positivity it is. And I know it's not really in this book, so I can't... I think it's why it's hard for me to say that, because I I think that once I read more about it in the second book again, when we reread that one, I'll understand why I'm saying this. Because I think that Amity mm-hmm. is probably the one that I would fit in the most. Mm-hmm. But I think realistically... I would belong in erudite or abnegation. Okay. I agree with you on, I think that you would fit into Amity, but I I also don't feel like I have a clear Mm -hmm. picture of it right now. Yeah. I would want to be an Amity. Seems the most chill. (laughs) I mean, you're right. I mean, yeah. (laughs) I wish I was that type of person, but realistically, I am not. I would be, I mean, looks wise, I'm obviously dauntless, Yeah. but I do have a problem with speaking the truth. So maybe yeah, I'll be candid. So you could be it's what I'm saying. Like I feel like I am selflessness with abnegation, but I also love knowledge and I'm very mm-hmm. intelligent. So I would I can see myself being an either and I can see the same for you. You're obviously don't the time I'm reading this, I'm like, this is I'm like, this is Kelsey. I'm like Kelsey would be dauntless. Kelsey would be like, I up. wouldn't want to fight. I'm like, I don't wanna <laughs> I'm I look like I'll be you up, but I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. Thanks. I know I have more tattoos than all of you, but I'm good. She really sweet yeah. side by. I think it's like a Hogwarts house thing. Yeah. Like where you're definitely like a hybrid of two houses. And I think that that's normal. It's, you're no, not I think just we're divergent, is what you're telling me. We are divergent. Yeah. <laughs> Which I know that we skipped over this, but I do love the part about Four's tattoo. Yeah. Where they reveal the tattoo on his back that has every single faction symbol. It has Abnegation and Dauntless the biggest, Mm -hmm. but has every single faction. And he explains that he doesn't want to be just one thing. He wants to be kind and brave and selfless and smart. But I hated his back tattoo in the movie. (laughs) The big black lines. Yeah. I liked the part that came up on his neck. Yeah. And the tokens were cool down his spine, but those weird just super dark black lines on his back i'm like i don't get it but okay yeah i okay let's just (laughs) let's just go with the idea of it anyway all right so let's skip to the movie first we need to talk about shailene woodley okay because you and i talked about this a little bit but i i went a little deeper let's talk about her filmography because (laughs) holy shit so she did secret life of the american teenager which if you have not seen don't watch it but watch one episode one oh my god episode and your life will be changed forever her acting it's like was horrendous it wasn't it's, even acting. it's worse than pretty little liars oh my god it's worse it's worse okay so she's on that show from 2008 to 2013 yeah that's a long run mm-hmm. this show kept getting renewed that's <laughs> that's my point there okay what was this on freeform of course mm-hmm. it was on fucking freeform yeah i think so i think it was it had to have been this is a this is a this is a, this sounds has like a free form written original. all over it yeah <laughs> exactly so then she's in a few movies right after that ended uh the spectacular now white bird in a blizzard fault in our stars and then divergent so i read on imdb that she was the only actress who was auditioned for tris she was exactly who they wanted and they didn't consider anyone else that's interesting and then she texted miles teller and was like hey you should audition for this movie because they had worked together on spectacular now and she wanted to work with him again so she was like why don't you get in here and then he got cast for peter isn't that crazy? it is what i'm trying to say is someone saw 
Maybe they didn't see Secret Life. Maybe they didn't see it. I mean, Maybe they only uh, watched Spectacular Now and White Bird in a Blizzard. Which Spectacular and Fault in Our Now Stars. was such a good movie. Fault in Our Stars was it's such a good so movie. Good. But then again, I think we had talked about the her her like her love interest in Fault in Our Stars is her brother in Divergent. So they're mm-hmm. just all like mm-hmm. it's like and a little Miles universe. Teller, obviously Spectacular Now, White Bird in a Blizzard. I saw. I don't think I've it's ever seen kind that. of more of an indie film. Yeah. Um, I don't remember anyone else being in that, but it was definitely like a dark, like culty movie. So yeah, I, I'm just baffled that someone watched Secret Life of the American Teenager and they were like, we need her for this blockbuster movie. I agree. Get her in here and immediately. It was, just, it was funny when we were watching Divergent and um, the actor who's, I don't know why I'm blanking right now. Oh, Ansel Elgort, the guy who mm-hmm. plays Caleb. Eric was just like, isn't he canceled? I was like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> This was way before it was, cancel it was culture. Funny we were talking about how we love the movie Baby Driver, which was really, really good. And it had mm-hmm. Ansel Elgort in it, who's obviously now canceled, and mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey, who's also canceled. And oh. Eric was like, but it was such a good movie. And I'm like, I know. I was like, well, Lily James is in it. And Lily James is still, I think, not canceled. Although yeah. I think something did happen with her a few years ago. Not enough to get her canceled, but she... It's one of those things where you have to separate. Yeah, like she had like an affair, like she cheated on her boyfriend or something. It it, it was more like a scandal, not like a canceled scandal, just like typical Hollywood shit. Yeah, yeah. I just can't believe the cast that's in this and the fact of how how many big names they got alongside Shailene Woodley. I'm not going to stop saying it, but (laughs) all of these other big names, Kate Winslet, I know. Kai Pfeiffer, like... And Ashley Judd, who had, like, a very minimal scenes in this movie, and I was... And then I recognized the dad. The dad was the president on Scandal. And I just was like, Mm -hmm. they just really... They they got everyone. But then it was weird, because Theo James was an unknown. I don't think he was... This is the movie that, like, broke him out, didn't it? And there were four other people considered for four. (laughs) (laughs) No pun intended. But... He wasn't their first pick. And excuse me for being thirsty for a moment, but Theo James, Miles Teller, and Mackay Pfeiffer. I are know. You, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Are, even if I didn't want to watch this movie, I'm watching this movie. No. And even though I'm like, this relationship is so problematic, <laughs> in the movie, it escalates. Now that I'm thinking about it, it escalates just as quickly as it does in the book, mm-hmm. but it's just like much harsher when you're watching yeah. it in a movie. So. The part where it's like their first night in Dauntless and they're at dinner and he's like, what makes you think you can talk to me? And I was like, what? When that happened, I was like, oh, like that was that that kind of like took me aback for a moment. It's like it happens in the book, but not that aggressively. Not that aggressive Like he's just all. like, why he's, are you asking he's more so many like, questions? Yeah, he's more like, you need to watch yourself. Like he's more like, yeah. you need to stop you know, you're like, you're being too curious. And but we're in the movie. He's just like, what makes you think you can talk to me? And it's like, oh, like, is there some then, rule that you can't talk to yeah. each other? Was that was that rule established? Because I didn't see where it was. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, she looks at his tattoo. And then he turns around, and they start making out and she's like, slow down. I don't want to go too fast. I'm like, it's your first kiss. What What was he doing? What, like, what was the suggestion? Just because you took his shirt off to see his tattoo? I know. It, it escalated way too quickly for me. And then the I love you with the gun thing. I'm like, you don't love each other. Stop that. Stop that right now. Yeah. 
from this movie, you do not love each other. No. You may be starting a relationship, but you watch your mouth. And he's 18 years old. He's not 16. Not that it makes that much of a difference, no. but come on. No. There's also some other things they left out, like the rivalry between Tris and Christina, which I had forgotten about yeah. when I reread the book. Me too. That she, she really has this like pity for Tris. And mm-hmm. even though they're really good friends, Christina always thinks that she's better than Tris mm-hmm. no matter what and kind of like has like a pity friendship almost. And I did not like that. And also, it was just kind of how in the book, they don't really, it's not brought up in the movie at all. Like when they when they play the, like the capture the flag kind of situation. And like Christina like says to Tris, like, come on, like you've, you've got us here. Like, just let me get it. And it's almost like, why? Like, why do you have to be the person yeah. that it's just, it is. It's like this weird, like complex between the two of them. That mm-hmm. and she always like kind of talks down to her because I bit. think that she thinks because she's from abnegation that she's kind of a lower status than her, and so the mm-hmm. fact that and she started out as lower status realistically when you look at how she began in Dauntless, and now all of a sudden mm-hmm. she's climbing the ranks, and I think Christina obviously feels threatened by that because how can and someone like... you know from abnegation be better than her as a candor mm-hmm. as a candor and like she's everything about her is. More or less, she thinks she's better than her. Mm-hmm. And she's also, in the book, she's bigger in stature. She's yes. stronger. Mm-hmm. But also, it's not even that she looks down on her. Like, she looks down on her for being abnegation and thinks kind of like, well, you're never going to make it anyway. Yeah. And then they start planting these seeds of doubt. Like, Peter starts saying, like, oh, Tris is doing so well in the mental simulations. Is she going to tell her friends her secret? And they're like, wait a second, what's the secret? Like, what are you keeping mm-hmm. from us? Yeah. So there is this internal competition. And when Christina realizes that her and Triss are on even playing fields, she kind of starts to panic a little bit. Yep. And then in the movie, Janine is different too. She's much less hostile in the movie at first. I feel like in the book, they already hated Janine from the beginning. Yeah. But then in the in the movie, when she goes to visit Caleb and those guards try and grab her, Janine's like, are you okay? Yeah. What what is happening here? And I'm like, Kate Winslet, what are you doing? Um, other than that though, I think they follow it as closely as they can. Was there anything that stood out to you about the movie? Well, I already talked about the I love you scene. Mm-hmm. And then I also felt like the scene where she goes to see Caleb, it's actually a huge deal that she did that in the book. And it's just kind of not a big deal in the movie. You know, because yes, she because comes she gets in trouble, and Eric is like, "What? What were you thinking?" and everything, and then you know, it's just kind of like this because and then she says she had to get away, and then four is like, "Oh, because she tried, you know, she tried to kiss me, and so she was embarrassed mm-hmm. and she ran away." So it's like the which again, like I know every time we we talk about this when you when you make a book into a movie, you obviously can't do every single thing, yeah. So, but I think that that conversation between Caleb and Tris at Erudite was very important. And I feel like it was important to the plot. So I think they could have included more of it yeah. in the movie. And they because, also, like, they, the serum yeah. that she tells him to look into. And he's like, I think that something's going on. So, like, in the book, Caleb already has that seed of doubt planted. But in the movie, he's like, I'm erudite till I die. Like, you got to leave, Tris. And I also didn't, I thought they did a bad job of portraying Peter in the movie. I feel like in the mm-hmm. book he had more depth and they just totally cut out him going after Edward 
in general. Yeah. And they just kind of, that just didn't happen. And also looking at the, I mean, this is just something stupid and I know it's not a big deal, but it kind of mattered to me. It bothered me in the the book, the Dauntless born initiates and the ones that transferred aren't ranked together, but in the movie they are. Remember the scoreboard? Right. You know right. what I mean? I'm just kind of like, that's kind of like weird. Like, I don't know. It was just, you know, I don't know. And also I think that the zip lining part was different in the book than mm-hmm. it was in the movie. Mm-hmm. Just little things. I'm just being nitpicky. I know. Yeah. But I, and they had to cut out some relationships. Like, I really liked her relationship in the book with Uriah. Yeah, me too. he really respected her. Like, he was the first person besides four who really respected her abilities and gave her confidence because mm-hmm. her friends were kind of tearing yeah. her down. So I'm not surprised they didn't include that in the movie, but I did really like it in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we talked about it a little bit, but the love story is just so much more forced so quickly in the movie. Mm-hmm. And like, this is a two and a half hour movie. So you could have given me a little more buildup. You could have given me a little more Theo James being I know. a sweet angel. And I was like, when I first watched this movie, I remember I like loved it. Yeah. And then I watched it this past weekend. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, this, this is, is not great. This is terrible. This is not a good movie. But now <laughs> I'm so excited to watch the next one because I remember them developing Peter's character yes. a lot more and mm-hmm. we see a lot more of his ruthlessness. So I hope that I'm remembering that correctly. I hope that we're remembering that Four and Triss's relationship gets better. But what I will say is I really like the ending in the movie where they actually inject Janine with the serum. Yeah, that was a that was a nice That was cool. That was not that didn't happen obviously in the book. So I thought that that was right. that that was an, a nice little like like to use her mm-hmm. power against her. Yeah. And there's that whole, like, don't get me wrong, there's a certain beauty in your resistance. Yeah. Which Janine had said to Tris, and then Tris says to her. So I, I actually really liked that. that. I yeah, thought yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a cool yeah. a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, this I didn't like this either. So in the book, Al and Tris's friendship is definitely written out more. And so when he does end up, because obviously in the book, he ends up having a crush on Tris. And mm-hmm. then she's, that's one of the scenes too, where she's like, I don't like affection. She doesn't get affection and everything. And she's not interested in him that way. And then when he does the whole thing of throwing, almost throwing her over into the chasm, and then he commits suicide, more or less because Tris like won't forgive him. But it felt so rushed in the movie, mm-hmm. that entire, from him being involved in throwing her off to like her seeing him in like the cafeteria and he's like can you forgive me and it's like there was just that was very very rushed i didn't like that yeah. at all because then he did yeah. and, then, and he like kills himself and it's like it's just like okay but there's there was not enough in not enough you done didn't in the movie see enough why she blamed yeah. herself i feel like you either need to include it fully or not include it exactly. at all because it also it wouldn't have taken away from the movie if they didn't include it yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm so it's kind of like unnecessary to put it in there if you're not going to fully put it. And then obviously I miss the dialogue in Triss's head where we see that she's struggling to free herself yeah. from her abnegation roots. But obviously that's hard to convey in a movie. I get that. That was one of my favorite parts of the book is that struggle that she's having. So anything else about the movie or shall we move to the ratings? Let's move to the rating. All right. So obviously our rating is based on the book, but I can't say it's not influenced by the movie, if you know what I mean. So our rating scale today is going to be broken limbs from jumping out of a moving train. Oh my gosh. That's (laughs) hilarious. 
because no one seems to break any limbs except when that person dies at the beginning i know that was so random i mean it's not like adultless born i understand it but it was like and again that just was i understand why it wasn't addressed in the movie because it was you know it was like it was a nothing but it was like holy shit Uh same time yeah anyway so how many broken limbs are you giving this book I feel like this happens every time we do a podcast. I do, go into it with mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. my rating and then I change it mid-episode. Same piece. So I rated it five the other day, but now that we're talking about it, I'm like, no, it's a four. It's four broken limbs. It's four for me. Uh, I'm surprised that you four. rated this five. I don't know why. It's a four I, for me. Shut up. Me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, I don't know, because even like when I, when I, finished it and i was on goodreads i was like i'll give it five and then i was like now we're talking about it because you know what it is once i got to the ending and i like the ending of the book once if i really like the ending i think that i just forget everything else that i've read right right (laughs) well but that that's what we talk about sometimes it is just about that feeling that it gives you so if you leave off with the feeling that you enjoyed it and then we start breaking it down piece by piece of course it's going to change that a little bit yeah exactly because it's now that we're talking about the characters and realist and realistically the potholes and the things that don't make sense you're like oh okay because i just know that once i got to the point where the serum when they did the tracking serum into everybody mm-hmm. once she wakes up in that bunker and she realizes what's happening from that point on until the end of the book it's just like you're kind of like captivated yeah and so i'm I basing agree. it off basing it off that captivation that that book had me in that chokehold that it had me in in the very end of the book i agree with that i think the first time i read this book i easily gave it five stars but after the reread this is funny because i was ready to give it four broken limbs I'm going down to three and a half. That's I've got fine. It. Because I I love the concept of this book. Like you said, that ending is great. Mm-hmm. And the build up to it, they do introduce it well. And then it just like happens like quickly, which which it has to. And I like the concept of that. And it's definitely a series that I will always enjoy rereading and watching, even if it's just for that nostalgia factor. But I can't get past how differently I felt about the love story portion. And just like you said, some of the plot holes, I was like, I'm giving it a a pass because this is the first part of the series and I know that they do get better. Mm-hmm. So my rating is only going to go up as we continue. But right now, you lost me. Although if we're going off of how many times I got to see Theo James in the movie, that's all the broken limbs. Anyway. Which is, and I told you before, I named my dog after Theo James. I was like obsessed. When I got, when I got my dog, when I adopted my dog, I was in love with Theo. That was my like current cr- celebrity crush. So I named my mm-hmm. dog Theo. I mean, it's understandable. He's brooding. He's moody. He's hot as fuck. Mm-hmm. What's not to love, and, you know? And then it's actually funny watching him in divergent after like seeing him wait did you watch white lotus no all right because he's in season two of white lotus and mm-hmm. his character is a phenomenal in that it's a, he, it's a t- terrible character terrible character but still i you love him like you can't help but like uh-huh. and i just love theo james so it's like really funny seeing him in divergent after just watching him in white lotus earlier this year and it's like <laughs> Wow, I really need to watch White Lotus. Yeah. Okay, that's moving it even higher on my mm-hmm. on my list of things yeah. to watch. All right, so anything else that you want to add? I don't think so. 
I think we thoroughly destroyed this, what I thought was a classic <laughs> YA, dystopian, just, like, old school even, novel. The book the book was fine. Like the book, I had no qualms with the book. The book was great. It was the movie that I seriously struggled with because Maybe I should have watched the movie. Was like this was um I remember loving it so much. I think it was so great. And then I'm watching it and I'm like, oh no, this is bad. This mm-hmm. is not good. This just is, this is not a, a good big book. budget bad. Movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree. I'm being too harsh on the book. I enjoyed reading it. Yeah. So it's like, I can't be mad about it. And you gotta, it. like, realize, too, like, now we're older reading a book that mm-hmm. that was, you know, when it came out, it was the the first of its kind, and it was, we have nothing to compare it to, and you obviously really, we really enjoyed it, reading it for the first mm-hmm. time, so, and we were younger, you know, it's, what, 10 years now since we've read it, so it's like, mm-hmm. and obviously we've discussed how different we feel reading books we read 10 years ago. So absolutely. It's just, yeah. You're like, Oh, okay. Maybe I liked it when I was younger, but now you're kind of like, no, but I don't, yeah. it's also like a YA novel. So I can understand why there's also a lot of stuff missing. Let's just say it didn't age as well for us as hunger games did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, that's all we have for you today. If you like what you heard, please make sure to follow, subscribe, and rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. If you have any book recommendations or questions for us, you can email us at fullybookedcalfpod at gmail.com. If you want to yell at us for any of the opinions that we've expressed in this episode, please email us. Also, be sure to follow us on TikTok and Instagram at fullybookedcalfpod to see our upcoming reads. Thanks for checking us out. And remember, If you need us, we're fully booked. Bye.